You're listening to a message from our Sunday morning service at Hayes Hills Baptist Church, where we seek to bring life-changing hope to an ever-changing people through the unchanging gospel. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit hayeshills.com. Our prayer is that this message would serve to equip and empower you to live as a follower of Jesus in conjunction with your belonging to a local body of believers. Well, we're currently walking through our series on 1 Corinthians, which we'll be in for the majority of this year. We'd encourage you to follow along, and we hope that this message serves as a blessing to you. Uh, Well, the Titanic taught us what happens when a cruise ship strikes an iceberg, but what happens when a cargo ship collides with a bulk freighter carrying liquefied gas? Uh, That's what happened in 2019 when the Asian beauty uh, collided with the bulk freighter Zeus. Uh, Both ships sustained massive damage, but fortunately there were no explosions. Uh, When the Japan Transport Safety Bureau conducted their investigation, uh, what they found was that the cause of the collision was the Asian beauty dragging anchor. The captain of the ship had had dropped anchor and thought that the ship would stay in place, but when the wind picked up a little bit, the anchor was too small to hold the ship in its position. It began to drift, pick up steam, and as it grew in speed, it eventually collided with the freighter. The collision could have been avoided if they simply had had a bigger anchor. And that's not only a lesson for sailors, that's a lesson for life, isn't it? Because when life presses in on us, when life becomes heavy and hard, hope is our anchor. A hope that life is not always going to be this way, that, that, that there is hope that there are better days ahead. And if your hope is small, it might carry you through some, some minor setbacks. But when the winds of life begin to howl and what you're experiencing is not a minor setback or two, but a long series of setbacks or maybe a loss that is so devastating that it knocks you off your feet. Your your hope will not hold you in those times if it is small. You will drift away. You will be carried away in your sorrow. And that's why the Apostle Paul says that what sets Christians apart from other people in this world is the way in which we grieve. Because we do not grieve as those who have no hope. There is something about the Christian hope that anchors us even in the midst of life's most devastating losses. A a kind of hope that can give us joy even when we are experiencing great grief. And the question is, what is that hope. And I want you to see this morning as we look at God's Word in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the hope that we have as Christians is not heaven. In fact, if your hope as a Christian is I have hope and it is heaven, your hope is too small. And when the most difficult days come, you are going to be carried away too. And so what I want to answer this morning is if that's not the Christian hope, like if the Christian hope isn't heaven, what is it? What is that hope that Paul says can anchor us so that we can have joy even in great grief? And I want to answer that question by looking together this morning at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you brought your Bible, I hope you did. I want to invite you to turn with me there. 
If you've got a digital device you can use to pull up the scriptures, I want to encourage you to search for the ESV, the English Standard Version. That's the translation of the Bible I'll be reading from this morning. And so if you search ESV, 1 Corinthians 15, you'll be able to follow right along with me. And I'm going to begin reading there in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12, uh, listen to the words of Paul the Apostle. He writes this, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And this is God's word to us today. And in verses 12 through 19, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that Christianity stands or falls with the resurrection. That's why he says in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is pointless. Because what Paul preaches is the Christian gospel. Uh, Paul preaches this message that although we've all sinned, we've all disobeyed God, and as a result, we are deserving of death and hell. God in his love sent God the Son, Jesus, into the world. And Jesus lived a perfect life. He never disobeyed God. And then he went to a cross and he died to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. And the reason we know that worked, the, the reason we know that Christ dying in our place was effective is because on the third day, Jesus rose in victory over sin, death, and the devil. And Jesus now lives where he offers uh, forgiveness of sins. He offers to you eternal life. He offers to adopt you as a child of God. If you would simply stop trying to live life on your own terms, trying to say, look, this, this is who I am. This is how I want to live. This is what I want to do. And you would instead say, God, I'm going to live life on your terms. I'm going to say, God, who did you create me to be? Uh, what have you called me to do? How can I follow you in obedience? If, if you would live life that way, putting your trust not in who you are or the things you've done. I'm going to trust in the fact that I'm a good enough person. But instead, you put your trust in Jesus, in who he is and what he has done. Because Jesus has paid it all. Then the Bible says, 
you will be forgiven of your sins, given eternal life, adopted as a child of God. That's the Christian gospel. And Paul says, look, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, that preaching is pointless, verse 17, because if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You see, if, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, what hope do you and I have when we die? You see, Christianity, it, it stands or falls with the resurrection. And if you're here this morning and you're still trying to, to decide what you think about the resurrection, like you understand that we make this big deal about Jesus rising from the dead. There seems to be some historical evidence. I, I could give you a lot of arguments this morning, historical arguments, philosophical arguments. I could, I could roll them out. But I simply want to share with you the argument I find most convincing, which was also the argument Chuck Colson found the most convincing. Uh, Colson was known as President Nixon's hatchet man. Uh, he was indicted in the Watergate scandal. He served time in prison for obstruction of justice. But the Watergate scandal actually caused Colson to believe in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because the Watergate scandal convinced him of the resurrection, he put his trust in Jesus and it changed him from a cold, harsh politician into a man of compassion. He spent the rest of his life caring for the incarcerated through his nonprofit prison fellowship. He put his faith in Jesus and it changed him from the inside out. And you know what? If you put your trust in Jesus, it'll change you too. And if you're sitting there wondering, like, what does the Watergate scandal have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? I want you to listen to what Colson said. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. You see, Colson wrestled with the reality of the resurrection, and Watergate showed him that, man, I don't see dead people come back to life, but it's easier to believe that happened than that 12 dudes kept alive for 40 years when they weren't personally profiting from it. And not only were they not profiting from it, they were actually being beaten, tortured. They were being killed for it. And Colson came to see the, the resurrection of Jesus. It's a reality. And it changed that harsh and brutal hatchet man into a compassionate and caring man who gave his life to the imprisoned. It'll change your life too if you put your trust in Jesus. But there are not only some of you here this morning who, who are wrestling with what you believe about the resurrection, there are others of you here today and you'd say, Aaron, I do believe Jesus rose from the dead. That's why my hope is in heaven. But that phrase may not mean what you think it means. 
Uh, you know, several years ago, my wife, Lindsay, and I, we were fostering, and the foster agency reached out to us, and they said, hey, we've got uh, tickets to the Spurs game this weekend, and we wanted to know if you were interested, wanted to take the kids. And those of you who know me, you know the NBA is my love language, and so we set an email response, like in record time, like, yes, we want the tickets. But I wanted to know, like, which game is it for? They had two games over the weekend. And when they emailed back, they gave a date that puzzled me because the Spurs didn't have a game on that date. And as I'm sitting there kind of trying to figure out, like, what is going on? It dawns on me, they don't mean the San Antonio Spurs. They mean their minor league affiliate, the Austin Spurs. I was considerably less excited. <laughs> I heard we've got Spurs tickets for the weekend, and I thought that meant one thing when it actually meant another. And the question is, when you say that your hope is in heaven, do you have a major league hope or a minor league hope? Because what Christianity teaches is a bodily resurrection. Uh, That's why when we say that that Jesus rose from the dead, we, we don't mean that the tomb was empty on the third day because Jesus was up in heaven. It's why when we say that Jesus rose on the third day, we don't mean that he was here on earth, but he was hovering, hovering around as a disembodied spirit like some ghost. When we celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, what we mean is that Jesus was right here with an imperishable body. The dude ate and drank. Witnesses reached out and touched him. They felt his hands. He had a bodily resurrection right here. And so what Christianity teaches is is a bodily resurrection. And the bodily resurrection that Christianity teaches, it doesn't happen now in heaven. It happens here in the future. Uh, That's why Paul writes in, in verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Verse 22 tells us that a day is coming when all of those who belong to Christ will be made alive. But but when is that day coming? Verse 23, on the day that Christ returns. What the Bible teaches is a bodily resurrection that does not happen now in heaven, but here in the future. And that's why if you look at at verse 20, Paul writes that Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And the Bible uses that language, fallen asleep, over and over and over again. And it uses it to refer to the death of believers. Never uses it to refer to the death of unbelievers. Always to the death of believers. Because what the Bible teaches is that when a believer dies, they go immediately to be in the presence of the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful hope? That we are immediately in the presence of the Lord. But the Bible teaches that to be present 
with the Lord is to be absent from the body. That those who belong to Christ, who have put their faith in Jesus, if they have died, they are with the Lord right now. But between now and the day Jesus returns, they are not with him in the way they one day will be. They are with him now as disembodied spirits. It's not until the day the Lord returns that we will rise just as Jesus' body rose from the tomb on the third day. We will rise like him. Our, Our body will be reunited with our spirit and we will take on an imperishable body just like Jesus did. And so sometimes I hear believers say things like, oh, you know, my, my dead loved one, I know they're not in that wheelchair anymore. They're walking around those streets of gold in heaven. And when I hear somebody say that, I realize they don't understand the Christian hope. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, your, your loved one who has died in that wheelchair, they... They are in the presence of Jesus, and it is far better than what we have here. Heaven is a wonderful hope, amen? But it is just the appetizer. You see, the the best is yet to come. Because it is not until the Lord returns that their body will be raised from the dead, their spirit will reunite with their physical body, an imperishable body, and they will be transformed to rule and reign with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth. Just as their bodies and our bodies will be resurrected, the earth will be resurrected too. That's what the Bible teaches. And so, you know, our ultimate existence is not to be sitting on the clouds up in heaven playing a harp. That's not the thing. In fact, some people will ask at times, they'll say, Aaron, I don't I don't understand how eternity is going to work because I don't see how I'm not going to get bored just like singing to God forever in heaven. And if you've ever had a a thought like that, it's because, again, your hope is too small. Because heaven is not our ultimate home. Heaven is just a stopping point on the way there. You see, what we find in the last two chapters of the Bible are not believers going up to heaven, but heaven actually coming down to earth. Because on the day that Christ returns, all of those who belong to Christ will rise, be reunited with their spirit, the earth will be resurrected, and just as our bodies and our spirits are united, heaven and earth will be united as well. And we will rule and reign with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth. That is the Christian hope. And and it means that you're not going to be bored because you're going to have work to do. And it's going to be the best kind of work because it's the kind of work that will give you dignity because you are being productive, and yet that work comes with no stress. It means that what you're going to have in all eternity is a perfect life in which you can have friendships and relationships without awkwardness, anger, or envy. It means that what is in front of you is the opportunity in all of eternity to enjoy creation. Mountains and and trees and streams with no pollution. And you can stay out and enjoy it all day without the need to apply sunscreen or insect repellent. And best of all, what, what it means is that no longer will you be praying to a God that you cannot see. Instead, you will be praising a God who is right before your eyes. He will dwell with us and we will be his people. 
You see, if your hope is in heaven, and and by that you mean like you want to spend your time researching heaven because you think, man, that's where I'm going to spend all eternity. I want to know about heaven. Like your hope is too small because Christianity teaches a bodily resurrection and the bodily resurrection Christianity teaches doesn't happen now in heaven, but here in the future. That's the Christian hope. And if you hold on to it, even when the winds of life begin to howl, when you experience devastating loss in your life, you will not drag anchor. Because no matter how hard this life gets, you understand you've got a better life coming. Do you have a better life coming? Because verse 23 makes it clear That this resurrection is is for those who belong to Christ. It's not for everyone. It's for those who belong to to Christ. And so do you belong to Him? You know, just as the captain of, of the Asian beauty thought he had dropped anchor and that that anchor would hold, I am convinced there are some of you here this morning and you think, You think you've put your trust in Jesus, but you've just been flirting with it. You've just been toying with Jesus. You haven't really put your trust in Him. And just like the Asian beauty, when when the winds began to pick up, man, it headed for a violent collapse and crash. And if you think that you've got your trust in Jesus and you're just kidding yourself, deceiving yourself, the same thing will happen to you. And so, I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you and say that if you put your trust in Jesus, all your problems will go away. (laughs) Because that's not true. And we read this morning, Psalm 34, many are the afflictions of the righteous. You put your trust in Jesus, problems are still going to come your way. In fact, there might be more of them. But the good news is that though many are the afflictions of the righteous, the Lord delivers them from them all. That's the hope that I have. And imagine how your life would look different if that's the hope you had too. And you can have that hope right here, right now, if you would simply call out to God and and call out to Him in prayer and say, God, I, I know that I have been trying to pretend that I have put my trust in you, but your spirit is making it clear to me that I have I haven't had the real thing. I've just been kind of dipping my toe in the water instead of really putting my trust fully and firmly in you. And God, I am sorry for the way in which I've been living life on my own terms. I want to live, Lord, on your terms instead. Would you save me and change me and make me into something new with a brand new hope? Because if you'll do that, I promise you he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He can change you like Colson from a Hatchet man into a compassionate one. But you got to put your trust in him. Would you do that today? Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
We thank you that Jesus has paid it all. Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning and they're still trying to figure out what they believe about Jesus. Lord, I ask that your spirit would come and Lord, grant them clarity of thought and mind that they would put their hope and their trust in you and find salvation. I pray for those who are here and and Lord, maybe they've been deceiving themselves for some time, believing that they've put their trust in you, but, but knowing within their heart that they truly haven't. Lord, I pray that your spirit would, would break through all of that and God would cause them to call out to you in repentance and faith. Would they put their trust in you? Father, I pray for those who are here this morning and and they know that when they walk out of this place, there are some things in life that they're experiencing right now that, man, they make it hard to get out of the bed in the morning. And I pray, Father, that that they would have this hope, the hope of a perfect life in a new heaven and a new earth, and that that would be an anchor for them. Father, that it would give them joy, even, even as all that they have seems to be getting stripped away from them. Father, I pray that they would see that in Jesus, they have everything they need. And it would give them a joy that is unexplainable apart from the resurrection of Christ. And Father, I ask all of this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Hayes Hills Podcast Network. Feel free to follow us for more content. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit us at hayeshills.com.